You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation. Brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com. And be sure to share. The Second City is back open for live shows, classes, and customized corporate workshops and events. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. For more information, go to secondcity.com. You're listening to this podcast. You love podcasts. Hopefully, you also love the Second City and our work. You know who else will love podcasts from the Second City? Your colleagues and employees. I'm excited to share a new partnership that the Second City Works is entering into with Venly, an audio technology company that allows businesses to share audio and podcasts directly for employee engagement and learning and development. Our new series, First Takes, uses amazing corporate insights and teaching that we've developed through the years and communicates it in eight short podcast episodes. Share this content with your employees on channels like Slack, Microsoft Teams, SharePoint, First Up, and your LMS, all with enterprise-grade security, privacy, and analytics. Interested in sharing this content and learning more? Register at www.venly.co slash Second City, and we'll get you set up. Once again, it's www.venly.co slash Second City to get access to the First Takes content series. We're looking forward to learning with you and your colleagues. Uh, today's podcast guest is Stephen M. R. Covey, who is the co-founder and CEO of Covey Link and the Franklin Covey Trust Practice. He is the former CEO of Covey Leadership Center and the best-selling author of The Speed of Trust and Smart Trust. He's got a new book. It's called Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Enjoy the pod. The Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is getting the yes and. Days can be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow is just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the Stephen Covey, welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. So nice to be with you. I'm very excited to be here. So your book inspired a a memory of mine, and this was many decades ago, and we were leading a series of improv workshops at the Spurtis Institute for Jewish Learning here in Chicago. And I'm sort of observing with my friend Hal Lewis, who ran uh, Spurtis at the time, and we're doing an an exercise that's kind of well-known in improv circles called Follow the Follower. And there's many different versions of it, but essentially... It's where uh, people often in silence are mimicking each other. Uh, they're sort of trading off who's leading and who's following. And, and as we're doing this exercise and we're talking about what it means to be in synchrony and to trade off this leadership stuff, Hal turns to me and goes, you're doing Peter Drucker. And I'm like, <laughs> who's Peter Drucker? And end up doing my research. And, and then, of course, many years later, working in, in this field and doing our work, recognizing that Drucker you had it right 
decades and decades and decades ago. And I don't know if no one listened because he certainly lauded. Right. But like yeah. his, he was telling us what was wrong and we still did, got leadership wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's as, absolutely right. Uh, Drecker said most everything first. In fact, I, I listened to your podcast with Daniel Pink in which oh. you said it either originated with Drucker or with Buddha. Yeah, and maybe right. they were the same. Maybe <laughs> Drucker was an incarnated Buddha. So we haven't seen them in the same place at the same time. We've never seen them together. So I like your buddy movie idea. But but yeah, that's that's the whole premise is that that almost most of these ideas are out there. Most of what we're doing with leadership is out there. It's just that we're not quite getting it right yet. And, you know, it, it, it reminds me of that expression to, to know and not to do is not to know. Yeah. So the challenge right. here is in the doing It's in mm-hmm. the action It's yeah. putting it into practice. And, and uh, Drucker probably said it and we're all kind of repeating it, finding a new way to, to make it come alive. I think too, one of the things I loved about this book is the very simple way you sort of, organize the terms. And, and so we can, we can start to think about those things. So I really want you to talk about these sort of three leadership styles, starting with the worst of them, which is command and control. Yeah. And kind of the authoritarian yeah. command and control. So that's when authoritarian command and control is kind of where it's, you know, it's, it's based upon position. You know, I'm the boss. I have the title. I have the role. And, and, I, and I, how I view people is very much of, you know, what I can do to you. I have power and influence and I can use that in, in ways that I want. And, and people operate out of fear in many respects in, in those types of environments. And, and, um, and that maybe was a, a dominant model during the, you know, industrial age. Mm-hmm. A lot of, we saw a lot of that and, and it might've worked at a different time. I, I still always question really Kelly, how well it ever really worked. That's right. Yeah. And I, I certainly we left a lot of value on the table that we maybe didn't even know what, was possible. And, um, but that's kind of the traditional old school management of, of, uh, I'm the boss. And, you know, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you type of thing. And then we've, we've, uh, we've improved with all, all this knowledge, all this wisdom, all this insight, Peter Drucker, others, and, and we become more advanced and more sophisticated. Um, um, what I call enlightened command and control. <laughs> and that's not what I can do to you, but what I can do for you. So that's better. It's, it's more about fair exchange, fairness, you know, equity, and, and, and a lot of really positive things. We, br- we brought emotional intelligence into the equation. We brought mission into it. Uh, we brought strengths, a lot of good things. And the limitation of this, though, is that our paradigm of how we view people and how we view leadership is still too deeply scripted and rooted in the authoritarian command and control approach. It's still command and control. It's just a better form of command and control, more enlightened, more sophisticated. And so I'm suggesting that that, um, while most of us have moved away from authoritarian command and control, most of us are still dancing in the enlightened command and control arena, which doesn't really work. In our new world today, in a world of where the nature of work itself is changing, it's far more collaborative and interdependent than ever before, more service-oriented, more knowledge work. The nature of the world has changed with all these technologies. 
you know, disruptive technologies and the pace of change, the amount of change, the type of change is just overwhelming. The nature of the workplace has changed, particularly in the last couple of years. You know, work from home, work from anywhere, hybrid, remote combinations, and the nature of the workforce is changing with so much diversity, more than ever before. And finally, the nature of choice has changed. We've gone from multiple choice to infinite choice. And all these forces of change have kind of put a demand to say, look, the way that we've led that might have worked in the past just will not work today. You can't command and control your way to a great culture. You can't command and control your way to collaboration and innovation. So we need a new way to lead in a new world. And I'm calling it, in juxtaposition to command and control, I'm calling it trust and inspire. Mm-hmm. Trust and inspire. It's very aspirational. It's, it's what we all want, to be trusted, to be inspired, and others want it of us too. And the basic premise is kind of there's three stewardships. You model, you trust, and you inspire. It's that simple, that easy. I just didn't call it model, trust, and inspire. You know, I just, I put it in juxtaposition to command and control. Two words, trust and inspire. You model the behavior and what we're, the values, what we're trying to do. We go first. We trust and we're trusting, not just trustworthy, but trusting in our approach to leadership so that that brings out the best in people, so that that people feel the courage to take a risk because they feel trusted and that someone has their back the courage to even make a mistake. We're trusting and we're inspiring. And and that's kind of a paradigm shift because people think, well, you got to be charismatic to be inspiring. And I'm saying, no, Mm -mm. separate charisma and inspiration. Inspiring others is a learnable skill. Everyone can inspire because you inspire when you connect with people through caring and belonging. And when you connect people to purpose and to meaning and the contribution. And everyone, every leader can learn to do that. So that's the idea is that in a new world of work, we need a new way to lead. And the old command and control, even in its most enlightened form, is not sufficient for the new reality. We need to make a break with command and control in order to have a breakthrough in our leadership. I call it trust and inspire. Well, and it speaks to the science that we know about human beings and human behavior. So we crave connection. Absolutely. Uh, we are, uh, we learn by story. Um, my friend Sunil Gupta talks about conviction over charisma. So, so we will follow leaders uh, if they show us that they believe in, in what they're le- in who they're leading and, and the thing that they're, they're, they're doing the product, whatever it is, their service um, and, and, and autonomy and this, this idea of some level of autonomy, but ne- the need for connection, those things are not um, in conflict. I think sometimes old school thinking thinks they are. Yeah, and and they're not in conflict at all. In fact, um, that that's how people respond to this. You know, this in a sense, this autonomy is that trusting. I, I like to put it this way: to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. Mm-hmm. It brings out the best in all of us. Now, look, there might be a few that take advantage, abuse the trust, but we shouldn't allow the the 5% who we can't trust to define the 95% who we can. But we've built our organizations around the many who we can't trust at the expense of those that we can. I'll tell you a little story on this. I, I was with a, a, the dean of a business school, up and coming school, and they were recruiting this superstar professor. And this professor had every reason why he wanted to come to this, this uh, 
this new business school, this up and coming business school. And he was a heavyweight. And um, he came in and, and took a visit, you know, and, and he, want, he had family in the area, lots of reasons why he wanted to come there. They put their best foot forward. They brought out the president and all of the faculty and, and, you know, just this extraordinary experience. And then it came time for him to submit his expenses to get reimbursed from the, the trip because he was being recruited. And he turned in his, his expenses and he, and he turned in his airline receipt for the flight. And the dean had to, this was, you know, after he turned it in, he had to call him up and say, you know, I'm so sorry. And I'm even embarrassed to tell you this, but I, do you have the physical copy of your, your airline ticket that, you know, that gets you on the plane? Yeah. Because I need to have that in order to reimburse your airline flight. And, and the guy said, well, I, I don't even use that. I just use my phone to get on. I just, you know, I, I don't even have that. He goes, oh, I'm just, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I, I can't revert and reimburse your, your plane ticket without that. And, you know, I mean, how did that policy get put in place? You know, because someone somewhere probably abused it. Yeah. And maybe took advantage and had just the receipt, but not the proof that they'd actually flown. So now they put in place a rule that penalized anyone because of the fact that someone took advantage. And this person said, this professor said, why, why would I come to this place? They don't trust. Not only do they trust, they don't trust me. They don't trust anyone in their faculty if, they, if everyone has to do this. And it was just such a turnoff. And it was just an illustration of how still most of our organizations are built under the old model of command and control where you're, you're designing the rules for the many that you can't trust, not the, not the, the reality that you can, can trust most people. And so, you know, these kind of things still are taking place in today's world. It's almost shocking that it still happens, but it does. It's modern day bloodletting, if you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I I interviewed Horst Schultz, uh, who uh, ran. I know Horst. Yeah. Uh, And uh, this idea that he put into place there, which is like, basically, you have a slush fund as an employee to take care of customers. So so it's it's like you have a couple thousand dollars if you need to get take care of someone. It's like and that's why that brand is that brand. Powerful, beautiful. I, I know Horst as well. Spent time with them. And it's ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, yeah. and they treat their their employees like ladies and gentlemen. It'd do. be one thing to have the mantra, you know, and another thing to treat them differently. They have the mantra and they feel the empowerment. And that yeah. slush fund, that $2,000 that they have, they're really saying to that person, you use your judgment. Mm-hmm. We trust you to make it right by the customer. And, and so that's putting your money where your mouth is. That's real trusting and and look but they build a culture around that and then and that culture attracts and retains and engages and inspires the very best people who then in turn impact the customers and it becomes a virtuous upward spiral so great illustration so another success story is uh satya nadella at microsoft because when he came in microsoft was not in good shape and, and and you have a great illustration for why uh it was a cartoonist who had depicted the company's organizational chart as a pyramid-shaped hierarchy with a hand stuck out of each spot pointing a gun at one of the other spots. Yeah. Not good. (laughs) Not good. Not good. And the whole premise was, you know, this is competition, internal, internal competition. And and people were competing not just for scarce resources, but with each other. And it was not collaborative, anything but collaborative. 
it was instead in, in, in fierce internal competition. And the problem is you're not going to innovate mm-hmm. in that kind of environment. If they're not collaborating, if people aren't sharing information and, and being open and transparent and real and even taking a risk, making a mistake. And what was happening is Microsoft was still a behemoth, you know, because they built it from their earlier work, but they were fading more and more into irrelevance. I mean, less and less relevant at the time before Nadella. And, and um, they weren't keeping the best people and they weren't innovating like they had earlier. And so in comes in Satya Nadella with a trust and inspire leadership style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and through style of leadership, literally un- unleashes the greatness inside of the people, inside of the culture. And he did exactly those three stewardships. He modeled the behavior. He went first. Humility and courage. As Jim Collins says, that's a paradoxical combination, but really powerful. Yeah. Authenticity and vulnerability, but also empathy, listening, and, and performance. And so he modeled the behavior. He trusted. They started with the whole idea that there's a growth mindset, not just for yourself, but a growth mindset for everyone. And, I, and, and uh, the story was told of Nadella, where someone came up and said, hey, Sacha, my problem is I've got people that don't, that, you know, they don't have a growth mindset. And Nadella turned it right on that manager saying, you, it's your job to instill it in them. Don't blame them. Mm-hmm. You know, the leaders help them see what's inside of them. And, yeah. you know, you unleash the greatness. You help them see the greatness. And so he turned it right back on that leader saying, now your job is to instill a growth mindset into others. You, you can't force it on them, but you can help them see it. You can communicate it to them so they can come to see it. He modeled, he trusted, and he inspired. And they connected um, with people through caring and belonging, but they also connected to purpose. And, and they re, reassessed their, their purpose, what they're all about. And he's literally unleashed, revitalized the organization. Um, and today they're a powerhouse again, yeah. both in terms of the workplace, they're attracting the best people, and also in the marketplace. They're winning, they're innovating, they're creative, extraordinary turnaround through the style of the leader. And isn't that interesting, that style and tone, which, which I think many people think is, is maybe soft things to have as a leader, in fact, are hugely important because we're mimetic creatures. We, we that, that that is, and it's, it's so interesting too, that so many beginning theatrical exercises and improv exercises are mirroring exercises. Yeah. Because you, you're right. And I mean, so, so, and there's something very primal about that because that's, that's where theater comes from. But also, it, it, as an idea inside, inside uh, leadership, it's, it's the, it's when your boss picks up a piece of garbage that's on the floor you know, that's not their job, Yeah, it, but it's exactly their job. Yeah. And it sends the message to everybody else that it's all, all of our jobs. Yeah. It's modeling the behavior. It's going first. Someone needs to go first. Someone's got leaders yeah. do leaders go first. Yeah. Uh, we, well, we te- in our work too, we, we're often teaching w- what it means to initiate a scene yes. that, that you, you have to build up the muscle to be bold and then and initiate and go and, and go first. And that again, not natural to human beings. Ten, no. We tend to hug, hug the back wall as we put it, uh, wait to see, you know, who's out there, but you know, that, that's not how um, uh, any sort of disruptive innovation happens. The, the, it's the exact opposite. It's the people who go sort of head rushing in sometimes full heartedly. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and um, it takes courage. It puts you outside your comfort zone. But when you go first, it normalizes it for others and it makes it safer for them to respond back and you generate a reciprocity. And you can literally begin to change a, a norm or a culture where maybe people are caught in counterfeit behaviors. You know, everyone's spinning. Everyone's having, operating with hidden agendas. Everyone's finger pointing and blaming. And someone comes in, the leader, and they take responsibility. They own it, even when there's tough consequences. And they, they're the first to talk straight while everyone else is spinning. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's, it's saying to others, this is a better way to lead, better way to operate. And it tends to generate a reciprocity where people respond back. And, yeah. you know, I like mirroring, you know, the mirroring idea, the initiation idea. And, and uh, but someone goes first, the leader goes first and, and they take the risk. Yes, there's a risk to trust. There's also a risk not to trust. Yes, there's a risk to open up your agenda, but look at the risk of having a hidden agenda. You know, so you're just trying to just help people see how when you model the behavior, when you lead with authenticity and vulnerability, what that does, how it unleashes people and how it builds the trust and how it builds the possibilities for inspiration. So not only did I see it with Satya Satya Nadella, but also Cheryl Batchelder, Mm -hmm. how she turned around Popeye's long story short is they'd gone through four CEOs in a seven year period. And then just turning through them, she comes in and her first duty, she said, we're going to focus on building a relationship of trust with our franchisees. Not you, shareholder, that, that you'll, get, you'll get your return when we are building a high trust culture. And it starts with our franchisees. They're our first partner and customer. And she led the way. She modeled. She listened. She trusted them. We trust you, franchisees. And then she connected them to purpose and, and, and demonstrated the caring herself. And again, through her style, unleashed the capabilities and the, and the power within the team, within the culture. And they dramatically turned around the organization and became an extraordinary darling of the investors. And, you know, they, so the investors got their reward, but they, she did it. They did it because she let out, she went first and she took that risk. It's hard to tell wall street. You're not our first priority, right? But, but, but our, our franchisees are. That's right. It takes That's courage right. to do that. So we've talked a lot about this podcast that work-life balance is not a thing. Uh, And then people have offered work-life integration, work-life sway, which I kind of enjoy. You talk about this congruence that you need to find between public life, private life, and inner life. And I think that's maybe more all-encompassing than the simple idea around work-life, because there's an ethic there's a moral, there's a meaning, there's a purpose that's underneath this. So I want you to talk a little bit about how you align those things. Yeah. I think that that's real authenticity mm. at the end of the day, Kelly, is when, when um, um, who, you know, who we say we are is who we really are, to be rather than to seem. And so we all have a public life that everyone sees. A private life that some see and more privacy of our homes and the like, and then an inner life, which maybe we know, and maybe others, very few would know. And, and, uh, but, to, but to have a misalignment, an incongruence where mm. we, we believe one thing, but then say and do another 
would be an incongruence that would, would lose authenticity and you'll lose power that comes from that. There's a power to it. I remember when my father uh, passed away, Stephen R. Covey, he wrote the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. And at his funeral, what I felt impressed to say was this. I said, as, as good as my father was in public as an author and as a speaker, and he was really good. He was even better in private Hmm. As, a, as a husband to my mother, as a father to us kids. He was who you thought he was. There was an alignment, a congruence between his, his, his you know, public life, his private life, and his inner life. And, and, um, and, you, and, and, and we saw that. Those that were really close to him saw it. Some people can get, you know, get on the stage and just dazzle an audience, just yeah. wow them. Then they walk off stage, they're like a different person. Mm-hmm. Well, my father was good on stage, really good. And he was even better off stage in terms yeah. of how he treated everyone, not just those he knew, but, but the, the AV person, every single person he came in contact with. And so maybe the kindest and most, most accurate tribute I can pay my father is that as good as he was in public, he was even better in private. And I also know it happened to align with his inner life because he shared with me what his innermost values were and what mattered most to him and how he tried to align that and how, how he had what he would call daily private victories of trying mm-hmm. to align, you know, who he was about, his mission, his values, but then how that was manifest privately in the home and then publicly with others. And to me, that's real congruence. That's real authenticity. And there's a great power to that. And it's not easy. This is hard work. Um, you, really you, have, you, you have a great paragraph. It's long, but I want to read it. Uh, you say, quote, trust and inspire leadership is not weak, soft, cowardly, wishy-washy, mild-mannered, consensus paralysis, feelings focused, indecisive, without controls, without structure, without vision, without direction, the tail wagging the dog, without accountability, without high-performance expectations, or undemanding, end quote. And I love what you do there, because it's like, I want to knock down every one of these arguments that someone is going to make because they're scared of changing. Absolutely. They're scared of changing. There's fear of the unknown. They're not scripted in trust and inspire. They're, they've probably been scripted in command and control. Maybe they got ahead because of their command and control. And, and um, so there's lots of reasons to, to knock it down. But the easiest reason is that this is soft. This is squishy. You know, this is warm and fuzzies and, and the like. And do you think Satya Nadella is soft? Yeah, no. No. Look at what he's done. And so the whole point is that the fact that you're trust and inspire doesn't mean that you don't demand great things of people and expect it and have accountability and have a vision or have a structure. You can have all of those things. You can be authoritative without being authoritarian right. is the point. And, and so I'm just trying to kind of deal with the obstacles that people will put up. And they might say, this won't work here. We're a command and control culture. Well, give them a trust and inspire leader that gets results and does it in a way that also builds the team, builds the relationship, builds the engagement, inspires your people. That will speak to people. We need models who can become mentors. We need to model a new style of leadership and not just perpetuate what we've done in the past and just become more sophisticated at it. It's not going to work anymore as if it ever really did. No, and, and, and it's especially not going to work because we know that our relationship to AI and machine learning, the, the amount of change and information that's coming through, we need us humans 
need the other humans to be best at their human stuff <laughs> because because the robots can do everything else. And the human stuff is all is that list. The human the human stuff is storytelling and and relationships and context and computers computers and robots aren't funny. And 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 we need humor. We're like that, that's Absolutely. really important in terms of strengthening these these relationships. So I, I also love another thing that you I, when I speak on panels, a lot of times people say, "What's the number one barrier to innovation?" And I say, for me personally, it's my success. Uh, and you say a very similar thing in this book. And for what I mean is like I'm going to get stuck in a rut and do the same thing over and over again when context has changed, and I'm not going to be aware of that. And I think you you have a similar sentiment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I put it this way, that the, uh, the biggest barrier to becoming a trust inspired leader is that we think we already are one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've already arrived. We're already there. And, and we really haven't challenged ourselves. And, you know, the context can change. Context matters. Situation matters. But our paradigm of how we view people, how we view leadership matters even more. And we can re-script ourselves and yeah. we can literally create a, you know, and you, you appreciate this with uh, improv and everything else, the whole idea of a script. Yes. And you're carrying out a script. Now you do improvisation maybe without a script, but you also do acting and drama and theater with a script. Yes. And, and, you know, a script is, you know, is the act and, and, and the play. And, but the whole idea is as human beings, we are not programs. No, we're programmers. So we can write the script and we can rewrite the script and change the script. And if I've had bad scripting because I've grown up in a command and control home with command and control bosses and leaders everywhere I've gone, and maybe I've even succeeded with it, that doesn't mean that I have to play out that script. I can choose. We're uniquely human with self-awareness, independent will, conscience, imagination. So we can step back, stand back and choose to say, I'm a programmer or not a program. I choose to write a new script and write a, a way of leading that's more relevant for our times. It's more engaging and inspiring and empowering to people, trust and inspire. And, and we can re-script ourselves. And that's exciting. That's something that is uniquely human. Yeah. And, and, and we're constantly re-scripting ourselves uh, on a day-to-day basis basis depending on especially the world we live in right now i mean we've the, the if, if the if the world has not showed us in the last two years the need for change uh the need to be able to adapt and and um, be agile and then also how do we maintain a sense of resilience and it's, I, I point to this uh, the mayo clinic did a really interesting study around burnout and they actually discovered that it's more effective to treat burnout at a team level than it is an individual level and that's in part because we get through this with our teams we get through this with other people yeah the connection the connecting with people through through caring and belonging and what that does to people and how it creates energy i like to talk about how this trust and inspire culture what it does this is my answer to the work-life balance is the idea of of genuine well-being because it creates energy and joy Mm -hmm. yeah think about it nothing is as exhausting and no fun as a low-trust team, a low-trust culture, where you literally are watching every move and hold withholding and, and uh, worried about being a fender for what you might say. And it's that low-trust is exhausting. It drains people and cultures. And the neuroscience on it is overwhelming. Yep. And just the, convert, the, the opposite is equally true. Nothing is as energizing 
and passionate and as inspiring and as fun, joyful, happy as a high trust team, high trust coach, your high trust relationships, what it does, it does connect us, this connecting with people, such a source of energy and even inspiring. The idea of trust and inspire, inspire comes from the Latin term inspirare, to breathe life into. So mm-hmm. I'm an inspiring someone I'm breathing life into. And I like to say that the inspiration is already inside of them. You know, motivation is external, extrinsic, carrot and stick rewards. In- inspiration is internal, it's intrinsic. It's inside of people. Our job as a leader is to ignite the fire that's already within. Mm-hmm. That fire can burn on for years without having to provide more rewards, more carrot and stick. And, and, you know, to breathe life into something that. Maybe it was lifeless, but 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 the life is already there. The life is in the seed. The power is in the seed, in the person. And we're a gardener. The metaphor is we're a gardener, not a machinist. And so we're working on e- effectiveness with people, efficiency with things. And the danger is when we start to become efficient with people. Right. That's what machines do, right? Yeah. Not people, not humans. Uh, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you for your yes, for a yes and story. But before we do that, there's a line from this book. And when I read it, I got up out of my uh, chair, my office, went to my boss, uh, boss's office, Parisa Jalili. And I said, hey, here's a quote from the book I'm reading. It says, everyone thinks everyone else is the problem. And she just said, damn right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the point is, if you think the problem is out there, that very thinking is the problem. Right, because right. we've disempowered ourselves, and but it's human nature. We do it, and we do. And, uh, we do, we do uh, in de- uh, surveys where we where we people assess themselves on a team, then they assess uh, everyone else on the team, and 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 uh, it's not uncommon that we will see you know thirty forty. I just saw a seventy five point gap where someone rated themselves at like a an eighty nine, and everyone else at a fourteen wow. on the same areas. And these same people that are rating themselves these high scores are rating everyone else these low scores. Yeah. You know, and, and that's our problem is that the problem is everybody else is out there. And that very thinking is the problem. And it's disempowering. That's why leaders got to go, go first. Yep. Yep. All right. We always end the podcast uh, asking our guests for a yes and story. Do you have one for us? Sure, I do. Um, a good friend of mine is uh, Doug Conant. Uh, he's the former CEO of the Campbell Soup Company. Yeah, and uh, um, he's also an extraordinary leader and and uh, author, thought leader today. And um, um, you know, he turned around Campbell's remarkable from from worse worse in the world in engagement to invest in the world in engagement, and also huge financial performance. He's a great leader. Well, he's doing a lot of things right now to give back and 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 to and to build leadership and and so he's the chairman of this. Uh, of a, of a government leadership advisory council with the partnership for the pu- for public service focusing on leadership in government. Mm-hmm. He's the chairman. And, and um, I was uh, I'm, I'm on all these boards and advisory boards and I'm trying to get off them because I'm on too many. <laughs> I'm just spread so thin. I'm sure you understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you probably do the same and, and trying to contribute, but it just being spread so thin. So I told my wife, I'm going to get off all these boards and, and or not all of them get off several of them. And then uh, Doug, after I shared this with my wife, I'm getting off all these boards. Doug comes to me and says, Stephen, would you be on this advisory board mm. for the Government Leadership Advisory Council Partnership for Public Service? 
my first thought was to say, no, I can't possibly do this. I just told my wife, I promised her I'm going to get off some of these. But because it was coming from Doug and who he was and his vision for this, he gave me a little bit of a vision. And, and, um, and because of also, I looked at who was on this board and people like Amy Edmondson, Harvard Business oh, School, yeah. and, and Christine Porath. Georgetown oh, University and yeah. And, and, and many, many other luminaries, Liz Wiseman, um, mm-hmm. uh, many, many uh, people you would recognize Lester Lyles, uh, Sally Jewell. And, and um, I said, you know what, Doug? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this as part of gathering what I'm working on, on this book for, yeah. for what I'm doing on leadership, because I've got leadership luminaries here mm-hmm. and, 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 and to be able to, um, to learn from them and gain insights and understanding and knowledge from them actually will move what my work forward. And so I took a, I, I promised I was going to say no. And I, I said, yes, and I'm going to use this as a great accelerator to the work I'm doing on the kind of leadership that's needed today trust and inspire. Yeah. So the book, beautiful the, illustration of what's possible when you, when you look at things through that lens. Exactly. The book is called, uh, and it's a great one, trust and inspire how truly great leaders unleash greatness in others. Stephen M. R. Covey. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks Kelly. Love being with you. Really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. The Getting the yes. And podcast is produced by the second city and WGN radio. We are supported at the second city by Mike Farinaccio and Colleen Fahey. Our show is produced by Andrew Harris at WGN. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of the podcast is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you're interested in knowing more about the Second City, you can log on to secondcity.com or email us at works at secondcity.com.
se va. 